by the early 2000s, I had like 30,000 records. Oh, and that's a lot. So trying to <laughs> narrow it down to a few. It's like, you know, when people ask you, what's your favorite song? I can't answer that question because I have so many songs it's so I hard. love. You are now listening to The Living Numbers and Tony Rambles, 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 and The Living Numbers Podcast. This is The Living Numbers Podcast, and I am your host, Tony Rambles. This is the place where everyone's interesting if you ask the right questions. Today, I have another Tony on. I would say that this is the better Tony. He's This is the real Tony right here. <laughs> I'm just uh, trying to make my way, way in the world as a secondary. No, I'm just playing. I've got Tony Winyard here with me today. And y'all know how we do things around here. When we have somebody on for the first time, we have to give them a wonderful intro. So, Tony, here we go. Prepare to be serenaded. Hailing from the Sudan, okay? Yeah, y'all might not have known that by looking at this guy, but he's got a great story behind that. He made his way in the world as a professional DJ. His great acclaim took him to 11 countries. That's just living. We're not even talking about visiting. Rocking the night scene as the number one show in town. After moving back to the UK, after doing some soul searching, Having a brief stint as a financial advisor, he began DJing again at weddings for barely any money at all. That's a funny story, too. He then took that small town DJ lifestyle to becoming UK wedding DJ of the year. Eventually, he shifted his focus toward health and wellness, where after his own trials and tribulations, began the Habits in Health podcast, which explores how creating better habits improve aspects of your health with tips from expert guests from all around the world. He became a self-announced, self-proclaimed habitologist, trained in emotional intelligence. He believes humor is the best way to connect with people. So, so much, he tried his hand at stand-up comedy. He's thoughtful, ambitious, and curious. I present the Tony Winyard. Say hello to the people, Tony. Oh, man, that's that's quite an introduction. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, you've done some research. Cool. I try to get a few nuggets from, like, bios and stuff and listening to, uh, you know, you on other podcasts. So I try to pull some stuff that people may not know from just reading, like, your homepage, like the the stand-up comedian thing i was like oh yeah i gotta throw that in there you talked about being a financial advisor i i was kind of on that track working in banking too at one point but i was like do i want to do this no (laughs) so much like you so uh, we both kind of switched paths and and went off into things very different than being financial advisors Mm -hmm. so we're going to start here and our first number is five because uh, I want to know what was your top five things to do in the summertime as a kid because I feel like that is the time that 
that's how we can be kids. Like we don't have to worry about school. We don't have to really worry about much. You just, you know, do whatever it is that you want to do in the summertime. So what say you, Mr. Tony? The top two that, that were kind of play for number one and they're equal, really. I was always playing football or as you guys call it, soccer. So I'm just always mm-hmm. playing football every day. I would just get up, I'd go to the park, play football, come back for lunch, go back, play football, come back for dinner, go back and play football. I mean, that was, you know. Oh, wow. But that saying that, music has been like so special to me since I was really small. I started when I was seven years old, I started to do a paper round. And Mm -hmm. every penny or every cent I earned from that paper round, I spent on buying music. And and when I was when I got a little bit older, I started doing a milk rounds to helping to deliver milk, and so I was earning much more money, so I could buy much more yeah. records, you know. So by the time I was like fourteen, I had a massive record collection. So music was always wow. special to me. So they they they, yeah. they would be the main two, but I was always on my bike, playing other things in the park, mm. um, swimming. Um, I was ve- always very active, and I still am very active. You know, I've always I love kind of physical stuff playing football working out yeah whatever yeah 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 we um for for us it was always video games and it's not like now where you're gaming basically by yourself at home but you may be talking to other people that are across the the world we were gaming together so my brothers my cousins friends we would just kind of hang out and game uh football American football. <laughs> uh, we play basketball outside. We love being outside, just throwing the ball around. Whatever ball you had, you know, we was going to make it work. And it was in Detroit. So it wasn't as hot and humid as it is here in Texas. But even when we moved down here, like if everybody was outside hooping, like we're we going to go hoop. And, you know, and we were in uh, living in Green Arbor on the southeast side of Houston. I was kind of like, I was, I'm just going to say it. I was kind of the number one draft pick when we went out and played, right? Because I could jump pretty high. I was fast. So if we were playing basketball, HD was number one in basketball because he was like 16. This dude was tall. He could do it all. But if we were playing football, Detroit, that's what they called me. Detroit, oh, that's that was me, the number one pick. Uh, so we would play video games, play sports outside. Um, I said top five, but that's kind of it. <laughs> That's really it. We didn't do anything else. So from there, uh, I want you to tell us, you already kind of started the story about how you really got into music as a kid. What was the first record that you bought? The first seven inch that I bought, you probably never heard of. It was a guy called Lee P. Lee and the song was okay. called Little Arrows. I think I was seven years old. I think I was given a, like a voucher for Christmas from from a relation or something. And I just went to the local record, Woolworths, because you've got Woolworths in the States, haven't you? Yeah. So we used to have Woolworths in the UK. And I just went to Woolworths, bought this record, this seven inch. And then I think the first album I bought, there was a, a UK band called The Sweet. And I think I bought an album from them. And so in my kind of, when I was first into music, I was really into, I was kind of into everything, but I was more into pop, you know, when I was a kid. Yeah, yeah. Then when I got to around about 14, 15, I started getting quite heavy into reggae and various forms of reggae and it, mm. but at the same time i was kind of getting quite deep into soul as well and so you were all over the place yeah 
And I was, yeah, I mean, when I started to DJ, and the DJ thing in itself was a kind of complete fluke. Well, is it, I'd, I'd never had any pretensions to be a DJ. I'd, I never mm-hmm. had any, like, I wasn't wishing to be a DJ when I was older, you know? Right, right, right. And it happened by mistake. Well, not mistake. It happened, uh, a friend of mine had a birthday party. Mm-hmm. And whenever my friends had parties, they'd always ask me to bring my music along because I had such a bigger collection, you know? But most people don't know how to treat records. They'd be putting their fingers all over the vinyl and not, no much. You ain't putting You're your like, finger hey, over hey, my hey, vinyl. Time out, time know? out. Wait a second. <laughs> so I was like, I wouldn't let anyone touch my records because it was really annoying me, people putting their fingers all over the records. Mm-hmm. So there was one particular party. I didn't let anyone else come near the music. I was just playing the music all night. And it was in a it was in a function room above a pub. And at the end of the party, the, the manager, and I was like 14 or something, the manager came over to me and said, how much do you charge? I said, how much do I charge for what? He says, for DJing. I said, no, I'm not a DJ. I was just playing music for my friend's party. He said, well, what's a DJ? I said, well, yeah, yeah, <laughs> but it was, you know, I'm just helping my friend out. He said, well, would you, know, would you like to play here for Christmas, Christmas Eve? Yeah. I said, yeah, sure, okay. Yeah. And he said, how much do you want? I said, I don't know, 30 pounds? He said, you're booked. And then I thought, wow, I'm a DJ. And it had never crossed my mind before <laughs> that I was a DJ. For me, I just love the music, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I, I'm the car DJ. Because whenever I get in the car, it, it almost doesn't really matter what car I get in. If I can control the music, I would like to be in control of the music. <laughs> and I had this book, a lot like you. It wasn't records, but it was CDs. I had this book. It had to be about this big and it sat right in the passenger seat and whatever I was thinking about playing, whatever I was wanting that day. And, you know, you got the, the six CD changer when you get a car that's at least a little bit OK. And so I would flip that book open, man. And I would like, hmm, what six CDs am I going to ride to here for the next day or two? So go ahead. Keep going, Mr. DJ. Well, and then, it, yeah, so then I suddenly kind of my whole perception changed because then one one day I'm just crazy about music. The next day I'm a DJ. So I started, I guess it, in a way it changed how I was buying music as well, because before I was purely buying music for myself. Mm-hmm. Now I'm kind of buying music. Okay. What's going to make people dance, which yeah, is not yeah, the yeah. same as buying music for yourself. You know? No. I mean, not I was still buying music, music for that my, you're into. Yeah. I was still buying music for myself, but I would also be thinking about, okay, is this going to make people dance or is this just for me? You know? So it was always that kind of thinking as well. That's fun. I remember uh, when I first started getting music, I think I was in the ninth grade. I don't even know how I got the money or because I wasn't, I didn't have a paper route. I wasn't delivering milk. Uh, But I think maybe I was, I was doing chores around the house, like cutting grass and that kind of stuff. And I bought, I want to say it was, twister's first album and that's when people was bootlegging stuff so i think i got this album but it wasn't even like the right the right songs on it it wasn't the full album (laughs) i got a piece of junk but you know it was my cd i had my cd player and i took care of it i think i got kanye west college dropout i think was another one that i got early on where it was a bootleg and it wasn't actually any good it was kind of some mixed stuff on there. So I got, a, I kind of got gypped by a couple of people, but the first album like that I bought from the store in the plastic, I think was the Big for Mercy G-Unit album. 
I think that was the first one that I bought. And the album was amazing. I I could I wouldn't listen to that music now. That's just not where I am. But I can look at those songs and listen and go, dang, like this stuff, this stuff really hit hard. What's some what's some of the stuff that as you were buying music, getting into the music, like a couple of albums that stand out to you, I guess in those teenage years. Well, and that's the, the thing is about music from when you were a teenager is what kind of you have real fond memories, don't you? you know? mm. I yeah. think two albums that really stick out for me, and I bought, I can remember buying them on the same day in the same shop at the same, yeah, at the same time. It was Earth, Wind, and Fire, I Am. Yes. And, and Blondie, Parallel Lines. And they're two very different albums, but I remember buying them both at the same time, mm-hmm. and they're both like such brilliant albums. You know, and I love oh Earth, Wind, and Fire. I have I have so many albums from Earth, Wind, and Fire. Yeah. So Tony, we are kindred spirits. I talked about this with another guy I had on. His name was Nick Morrison. He's you know played around the world, musician, blah blah blah. And we talked about Earth, Wind, and Fire. And I went back and I listened to all of their stuff. Like when I got Spotify, I was like, I was I'm such a huge fan of what they do and. And you could probably attest to this. You could see their music changing as it progressed through the 70s, through the 80s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if it came out in the 90s, I probably didn't listen to it at all. Either. Yeah. So, <laughs> so you know, you know, Earth, Wind & Fire is huge up there for me. Yeah. And then Blondie, well, that's like Tide is High, right? That's one of their songs? Well, no, that was that was later on. So the later. album Parallel Lines had stuff like, I think it was like Sunday Girl and Denis Denis and you know, some of that stuff. Yeah. So those two really stick out for you in your teenage years. As you, let's say, into your 20s, what are some albums that stick out then? I know I didn't uh, plan these questions, but we're just talking music now. Oh, man, there's so many. It's, it's just like, that's a really tough question because I had, by the early 2000s, I had like 30,000 records. Oh, and man, that's a lot. So trying to <laughs> narrow it down to a few. It's like, you know, when people ask you, what's your favorite song? I can't answer that question because I have so many songs. It's so I hard. Love. Yeah. What, okay, what answer I give you today is going to be a different answer tomorrow. And it's going to be a different answer the next day. You know? Exactly. I'll go first. I'll give you some time because I have a couple that stuck that stick out in my mind. Uh, Lupe Fiasco is one of my favorite rappers of all time. Probably one in one A, Eminem and Lupe for me. And the album Food and Liquor. Oh my goodness. If Listeners, if you have never listened to Food and Liquor or The Cool, his second album, and that's back when people still did concept albums, like your whole album was about something specific. Those two albums are just amazing. Food and Liquor, I will put a little bit higher because there are no songs that you have to skip. And it's rare nowadays, unless like you have people like Drake that will make just like an album just full of hits. It's not necessarily mm. about one thing specific. Yeah, but yeah. if you look at the album Scorpion, right? It's just hit after hit after hit. Like, all of those songs are on the radio. But when you look at Food and Liquor by Lupe Fiasco, I mean, it's just a, a tone that goes through that album that's so amazing. I was like, this guy's like, this is one of my favorite people ever. And um, Eminem, uh, the Eminem show, that came out when I was a teenager. But the Eminem show, I was like, no one else can do it like this guy. This mm-hmm. From there, it was just like, I'm the biggest Eminem fan ever. So I gave you some time. Those are my favorite artists and some of the albums that stuck out to me. So your turn, Tony. No cop-outs, man. Well, I mean, 
there's three songs that are really special to me. And most people aren't, it depends. I mean, I, I, you, you, may, you may know them if you're heavy into the soul scene. So number one is, um, uh, oh God, I forgot her name now. Is I, I, I'll do number two and three first and, and the first one will come back. So number two is the Jones Girls, This Feeling's Killing Me. Okay. On Philly, Philly Sounds, I just used to love some of the Philly stuff. Number three was a, um, a woman named... My brain's just gone. I can't think of the first one or the third one. <laughs> the, the first one is Adriana Evans, former girlfriend of, of um, Eric Benet. Eric Benet. But yeah, but her song, Adriana Evans, um, Looking, for, Looking for Your Love, that just kills me, that tune. It's so yeah. cool. And the third one is Sherry Brown, It's a Pleasure. Okay. They're they're, they're kind of in my top three. I just love those, the sounds of all of those, you know, those songs. It's amazing uh, because I listen to a lot of, um, honestly, I just listen to a lot of different stuff. I listen to like soft rock, like uh, 70s, 80s, like the Eagles. I have a lot of them on my, on my playlist. Uh, Of course, Michael Jackson is somebody that, you know, everybody has Michael Jackson you you really don't know how great his stuff is, at least for me, until you're like scrolling through and you're like, dang, I got a lot of Michael Jackson on this playlist. Cause I kind of dump anything that's, I kind of dump everything into one playlist really. Yeah, yeah, uh, I've got some playlists. Because like I like to just, I like to vibe it all in. Like we talked about a lot of Earth, Wind and Fire. Uh, you know, there's some ACDC in there. So um, right. some Temptations, I'm from Detroit, you know, so we got to go. Motown, Temptations, uh, Jackson yeah. 5, Aretha Franklin. Uh, so, man, I could just talk about music all day. So, how did, how did you go from, like, DJing these small gigs, right? Because now you're like, wait, I am a DJ, huh? To that star kind of rising and taking you all over the world. Well, I've got a funny story. But, so, I, I once I realized, okay, I'm a DJ. So then I started setting kind of, a, you know, goals and I want to be a DJ in this club and that club and so on. And in and I grew up in London and the London in, in the centre of London, some of the top clubs there, it was very difficult to get your foot in the door. And I was trying to get my foot in the door when I was really young. But, yeah, you know, I, I just kept getting no's all the time. You didn't have enough clout. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, it's, it's often about who you, you, you just get a lucky break. And I got my lucky break again, a real, real kind of freaky situation. So I was driving a, a minicab when I was about 18. And I, there was one particular estate, which was really rough. There was lots of, lots of trouble there and stabbings and all kinds of stuff going on. And our minicab office said, if you drop anyone off in this place, you do not pick anyone up. You just get out of there as quick as you can. So one night I'm coming there. It's about one o'clock in the morning. As I'm driving in, there's a car park outside and there's a really flash car. It's like a brand new Jaguar or something like that. Ooh. And it's pouring down of rain and the bonnet, or I think you, you guys call it the hood, the hood's up and this guy's looking inside and he's obviously trying to fix something. And I've just kind of spotted him. Anyway, I've gone in, dropped my passenger off. I'm driving out. This guy comes running over to me and says, please, please, can you, can you like, give me a lift? I said, man, I'm not allowed to pick anyone up. And he literally got on the floor and it's pouring down the rain. He said, please don't leave me here. You know, and he, he looked so out of place. He was in his thirties mm. or forties, which to me looked, was like a really old guy at the time. You know? <laughs> and he, he was really well-dressed. 
So I said, okay, go on, get in. Anyway, so he, he, I said, where, where are we going? He says, to Hampstead, which is one of the most expensive places in London. So we're driving there. And then I've got like the latest music in, on a cassette at the time, you know. And after about 15 minutes, he said, man, you've got some good music. I said, yeah, 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 I'm a DJ. And he looked at me, he went, I can't actually say what he really said, but he said, go away. That's not what he said. But and I said, like, get out why'd, of you, why'd you say that? He said, well, I own a club and I'm looking for a DJ. I went, wow. I said, what club? He said, Le Beat Root. And at the time, that was one of the clubs. I'm like, wow. He said, would you like an audition? And I'm like, I can't believe this is happening. I went, yeah, of course <laughs> I would like an audition. You know? <laughs> so the next day, he had me in for an audition. I passed the audition. He gave me two nights a week in his club. Within wow. four weeks, I was working in two other clubs. So I'm doing his club two nights. I'm doing another club two nights and another club two nights, all in the centre of London, like some of the top clubs. So from wow. one... One minute, I've got no, I haven't got my foot in the door at any clubs. A month later, I'm working in three of the best clubs. Yeah, man, that is amazing because sometimes it's like you may be working and you're not, I mean, you're making money, but you're like, you know, when is when is my time gonna come? Right? We all have that question in our mind, no matter what we're doing, whether you're a DJ, a podcaster, you're an accountant, right? Whatever, you're just kind of thinking, like, okay, when is my time gonna come? And some people are like, my time is going to come. I just got to keep working. And some people are like, I might need to do something else. Like, this sucks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you got into those huge clubs. What are the names of the, of the other two for the people out there listening that may be familiar? So one club was called Oxford's and it was on Oxford Street, which is like one of the main streets in, in London. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other club was called Le Equipe Anglaise. So yeah, I had a great time in those three clubs. And then I had a situation where there was a there was a record store called Bluebirds where most DJs went. It was one of they got records uh, imports from the states much earlier than most places, and it's, it was mm. one of the places to go. And I used to live in this place. I was just in there all the time. Anyway, so this guy who owns three clubs in Spain, a lot of club owners used to come to this record store, and this particular oh, that's guy a good place to be there. Yeah, and a lot. This guy who owned all these clubs in Spain, who's a Spanish guy, came to the store and said to Billy and Bill, the two guys who own the store can you recommend an English DJ for me? I want an English DJ. They've recommended me. So all of a sudden I'm off to Spain, you know, and I was just having a time of my life in Spain. Man, man. Tell people, because if you live here in the States, I don't, especially in Texas, you don't always get a good idea of how close those countries are and how easy it is to get from one country to another. So like, what is a, I guess a car ride or a train ride from, I guess, UK to Spain or from Spain to somewhere else that you were playing. So I was on the Southwest of Spain. So it's on the Atlantic coast, kind of, you know, closest to, mm-hmm. to America, I suppose you could say. So you wouldn't really take a, a train, but to fly from London to, to near there, it was be about two, two and a half hours, something like that. Oh, that's nothing. So for us, that's like a big distance for you. Yeah, it's nothing. <laughs> it's all easy. perspective, isn't it? You know, for us, that's that's a long way. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I was working where the Spanish go on holiday because there's another mm-hmm. side of Spain, the southeast of Spain, is where a lot of English, people, a lot of British people go. But I was on the southwest of Spain where the Spanish go on holiday, and it's much, I think it's a much nicer part of Spain. But it's a mm. part of Spain where no one speaks English, so it made me learn Spanish. You know. There you go. There you go. Yeah. And so you. You got to Spain yeah. and you said you had a lot of fun in Spain. So what kind of, what kind of things did you do when you weren't DJing? 
Oh, there was so much to do there because I was living, one of the clubs I was working in was on the beach. I had an apartment on oh, the beach. Oh, come on, man. Yeah, and it was just beautiful weather, beautiful girls, great. I mean, the food was amazing. Oh, the whole place was just, it was just paradise, you know. There was actually, there was one funny story. There, there was a, a, a US naval base very near one of the clubs. It was in a place mm -hmm. called Rota. And there was, there was a lot of American, um, you know, various sort of uh, troops. I don't know. I'm not, in, I'm not right, into the military. military but yeah. But anyway, I remember some of these guys used to come to my club once. And at the time, there was an English band called Loose Ends. I don't know if you ever heard of Loose Ends. They were quite into the soul scene. And I remember one night, I'm playing this track from Loose Ends. And there was these four black guys from, the, from one of the US bases. And one of them's come over to me and says, oh, man, what's this tune? And I said, oh, it's Loose Ends. He said, I've never heard of Loose Ends. I said, yeah, it's an English band. He's, and he started laughing. He said, this ain't English. I said, yeah, this is an English band. This is English soul. <laughs> he said, this sounds like it comes from like you know, California or so. This is not English. And so, yeah, it was, uh, yeah. So I was kind of educating some of the, some of the guys from the States yeah. into Brit British soul, UK soul, like, you know. And I heard, I, I was listening to, I was watching this YouTube channel that I had just randomly come across because I, I sing at my church. And so they, they, I guess, analyze how people sing, the technicalities of singing. And so they were talking about when people sing, a lot of times you don't really hear an accent because that's just not how you sing. Like you don't, you don't sing with an accent, but sometimes those accents do come in with like how you pronounce words and stuff. So I was like, oh, I never really thought of that, but that's why you can get like a group like BTS Mm. Where you go, wait a second. I had no idea that this was a bunch of guys from not from America. I'll say that because I don't know okay. if they're from China or Japan or whatever, but they sing and you go, okay, they just sound like, you know, guys from California or something. Yeah. And so that's very, I just think it's interesting how singing can, can do that and how it works with the voice. So yeah. how, where else did you go? You went to Spain and then, cause you lived in 11 countries, you visited 80 over 80 countries as well. So yeah. where else did you go? Let's just, let's world hop here. Well, listen, so before I got that job in Spain, there was a company called uh, Bacchus who had contracts, DJ contracts all around the world. And I tried to get in with those guys, but it was a kind of catch 22 situation. They only gave you work if you had experience of working abroad, but how do you get experience of working abroad unless you're working for someone like them? And they, their response was, well, that's not really our, our problem. That's your problem. So anyway, oh, I, got offered the, I got offered the work in Spain. And I, when I was in Spain, I got offered work in Finland. So then I went to work in Finland. And after I left Finland, now Bacchus contacted me and said, we've heard mm -hmm. that you've been working in Spain. You've been working in Finland. Now you can work for us. You know? So then they sent me all over the world. They, first of all, they sent me to mm -hmm. Amsterdam. They sent me to Damascus in, in the Middle East. Um, and then I was in Norway and Switzerland and various other countries in Europe. But then I got to where I really wanted to go. They sent me out to Japan. And once I got to Japan, I stayed in Asia for 10 years. I was in Hong Kong, South Korea, Indonesia, uh, Singapore. I, I mean, that's when I really had a good time. All over the place. What are some, who are some of the people that you've met there that maybe you're still friends with today that made an impact on you? Talk about some of those people, because it's, it's the people that we connect with in life that really make the experiences what they are. Yeah, it's so true. You know, some people often say, 
they'll you'll talk about a place that you were living in or went to or visited oh how is that place and and how that place is is completely down to the people you were with because if you weren't with good people maybe that place wasn't good if you were with great people maybe that place was great so it wasn't about the place it was the people you were with so yeah, yeah i had in japan i had a great time in in fact every country i went to in asia i loved and and even the countries I went to in Europe, I had a good time as well. So, yeah, I've got really fond memories from Japan and from South Korea and especially from Indonesia because I stayed in Indonesia quite a long time. I ended up speaking almost fluent Indonesian. And I, I, yeah, I loved it there. It was really good. So who are some of the people? Like it could be club owners, friends, people that you met, maybe a girlfriend I, or somebody I like tell that. You, one of the great things about Facebook for me, it's allowed me to keep in contact with people from all those mm. places, from Almost every country, every country I've worked or lived in, with the exception of Syria, all those other countries, I've still got lots of friends. I'm able to see what they're up to every day and and we can have, you know, send messages back and forth. So that's one of the fantastic things about Facebook. So, yeah, I've got many friends from around the world. And so from Facebook is great for that, for me, keeping in touch with them. So you talked about going to Japan, spending a lot of time out there on the far, far east. So I looked up this statistic, and it's going to be our second number here, right? We haven't talked about a number in a while. The average person changes jobs every 4.2 years. So I guess that's like four years and a couple of months here. So after working in radio, uh, what was your aha moment to take you back to the UK where you basically grew up and then want to change course and get out of DJing. What was that moment, that, that time and place where you go, I'm kind of done with this. I kind of want to do something else. I want to get back home. Well, it was certainly, it wasn't 4.2 years for me. It was about 15 years and yeah. I'd, I'd been living abroad for 12 years. Well, no, actually I'd been living abroad for 10 years and I started to get tired of just DJing every night, six nights a week. And it, was, it wasn't as fun as it, as it always had been. But around the same time, my mum started to be getting really sick. She started losing her eyesight and she was going blind. And I started for the first time, I started to miss London. I'd never missed London before that. I was having such a good time. So it was a combination of all these things. I thought, yeah, maybe now is the time to go home. Also, I was getting older. I'm thinking maybe it's time to settle down now. So I went back to London. My best friend who I've known since I was four years old, he's a financial advisor. He says to me, Tony, I've got so many clients, I can't handle them. Maybe you you can come and work with me. So I worked with him. I did all the exams and I quickly realized, man, I am not cut out to be a financial advisor. (laughs) Because I loved speaking with people. But when I was trying to sell them a pension or trying to sell them a bond or I just, I just couldn't do it, you know? Yeah, it wasn't, I guess... And for me, because I was I was working uh, at Chase and I had worked my way up. I was a teller, part time teller. And then I was uh, became a like a like a lead teller. And then I moved over to the banking side and I was going into taking my series six and my series seven. I think my exams, I passed the first one. But as I was going through the training, I was just thinking like, is this what I want to do? Because I had just graduated college too. I wanted to explore. I kind of wanted to just see what else was out there. Like banking had been good to me. I had great bosses. I had great people. But in my heart, I just kind of knew 
I want to see if there's something else. Like the bank will be here if I want to come back to it. It's not going anywhere. So like I said, that's when I took my trip overseas. So when you realized like, okay, I don't think this is it. How did you get into the next thing that you want to do? Well, so while I was doing that and making no money at doing that, I was being offered lots of work as a DJ. Now I'd already mm-hmm, decided, I decided I don't want to work as a club DJ anymore, but I was getting people offering me work as a wedding DJ, which is very different. Like for mm-hmm. people who are not a DJ, it probably sounds, well, what's the difference working as a, in a club or a wedding? It's all the same. It's really different because different in a club, too. people are coming to me because they want to hear the music that I'm playing. That I like, you know, so I'm not really taking requests so much. In a wedding, it's all about taking requests. It's all about keeping that bride and groom happy and their guests. So I'm yeah. not so much playing my music. I'm playing music that I know is going to keep them happy. We're in a club is right. very different. And in a club, everything is set up for the DJ to be successful because the lighting, the sound system, it's all, it's very easy to, to get a full dance floor in a club. In a wedding, you've got all sorts of factors against you, the the atmosphere, they might have just had an argument, you know, the, the, the equipment you use, maybe the acoustics of the room aren't very good. There's mm-hmm. all sorts of things that make it much more difficult. And so in a way, it's much harder. It's much um, when you can get a really good, everyone going crazy in, in a wedding, there's a real much more feeling of achieving something. than mm-hmm. And in a club, it's very easy to do that, you know. Yeah. And at weddings, there are alternatives. Like you could just sit down if you want to. There are tables all over the place, I think, because uh, we're talking to more like reception. Yeah, yeah. Right. So there's tables, you know, you could sit and eat. You could chat with people because these are maybe family members that you haven't seen, people that you haven't met. So there yeah. are alternatives. Whereas in the club, you've gone there to dance. Basically, yeah. you've gone there to basically there's a bar and then there's a dance floor a right. lot of times. So there's not really like an alternative. Like if you don't want to be in here and dance, what do you got to do? Everyone's, everyone's roughly the same age. In a wedding, yep. you've got every age group, every music taste. It's just, you know, it's so much more difficult. You know? So when you hit it out the park at a wedding or, or at a reception, you're like, yep, I did yeah. a good job tonight. Exactly. You know? So how did it, you talked to, you gave this story about what you were, were charging and then like, Somebody asked you a question about how much it was. Tell that story. I think that's pretty funny. So, so I, initially, I start doing weddings. I have no idea what I should be charging. I've never done this before. So I'm just charging what the other guys are charging. And the other guys were charging nothing, virtually. So I'm charging nothing. Anyway, so after a couple of years, I'm, working, I'm doing a wedding in a place. And a manager of the venue come, came over to me and said, how much do you charge? And I said, I think it was like 200 pounds or something. And mm-hmm. he, he, he took a step back. He looked at me, he said, you're charging what? He says, I have DJs here charging more than double that. They're nowhere near as good as you. Why are you charging? And, and the line he used, <laughs> he said, you're selling a Ferrari for the, you're selling a Ferrari for the price of a Cortina. And, and I, you probably don't know what a Cortina is. A Cortina is this old beat up car. It's like a rubbish car, you know? A hoopty. And, 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 and then I started, th- I'd never actually thought about, my prices you know i just i just charge what everyone else charged and the next day i actually started thinking about why am i charging that so i doubled my price and and i figured no one's gonna book me at this price because i'm way too expensive now and i i I didn't realize it at the time when i look back now i realize 
every single person that inquired still paid that new price. So it was clear now that new price was still too cheap, you know. Yeah, but yeah, at yeah. least then my my thinking had changed. And then I went on a journey from where I was like 200 pounds by 10 years later, 11 years later, I was about 2000 pounds. So I increased it like tenfold in a space of 10 years or so. Yeah. Man. And, and that's sometimes people just ask these questions that don't even, they may not think it is going to do a whole lot, but they ask the one question that makes you ask yourself many more mm. questions. Yeah. And you go, dang, why do I charge that much? And yeah. you coming from the credentials that you have, this guy probably is looking and like he said, he was like, wait a second, you're really good. Like you gotta be, you know, one of the best and experienced guy. And he had probably had no idea about all your experience traveling all around the world being a DJ. Yeah. So you probably could have came out the gate charging whatever you wanted to charge. But when we're in these different places right in life in these different occupations we don't always we don't look at ourselves the same right so as a teacher I look at myself one way like okay I kind of know what I'm doing here as a teacher I feel comfortable if I were to go to another high school in the country I'd be like you know I kind of know how to be a teacher at a high school but if they were to take me in we'll keep it in education if they were to put me in, in the elementary school I probably would be like, uh, I don't, not 100% sure. Or if they were to put me like as an accountant, right? I wouldn't have as much confidence. And so I think that goes back to the habits that we create now, especially mm-hmm. once we get into these new situations. So we'll jump into that, right? Uh, so you talked about these, these tiny habits and I'll just introduce it with this five-day number, right? We got another five here because on the website, it gives you this uh, five-day free program to start off with. So my question here is, did you start off with that program? And then how did that experience kind of push you into now taking the tiny habits further and starting your own podcast and all of that stuff? So so I became, there's a book, Tiny Habits. But be, and and the author B.J. Fogg is a, is a professor in Stanford University. Mm-hmm. But before he wrote the book, which I think he wrote the book in like 2018, 2019, something like that, the concept he'd already been popularizing it from around 2010, something along those lines. Okay. And I first found out about it. I think it was around about 2011, 2012, something like that. But it didn't really, although I came across it, it didn't really sort of go inside at that time. But around that same time, some there was a few health things started coming up in my world. I had asthma since a kid. Um, when I was living abroad, I didn't have any problems with asthma. When I went back to England, the asthma started to return. Around the same time, my mum, she got, uh, you know, apart from losing her eyesight, she then got breast cancer. Um, and then it went and she had, she had aggressive chemo- chemotherapy. And then it came back again and she had a mastectomy and then it went. Then it came back again. She had a double mastectomy. And, and then eventually she got diagnosed with terminal cancer two days after her brother had just died of cancer. Wow. And so within the space of two days, my mum my has been you know, told she's got terminal cancer. My uncle has just passed away. I'm talking with one of my the sons of my uncle, so one of my cousins. Mm-hmm. And it suddenly dawned upon us. Neither of us had realized 
every single relative that's died has died of cancer. Like a hundred percent of my relatives that have died have died of cancer. Wow. About how and many my, people was there? Oh, I don't know. There's quite a few. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. And like 12, something like that. And I'm thinking, wow. I'm thinking, okay, so I'm going to get cancer. It's just a matter of time till I get cancer. But that, that led me on a journey of, I just mm -hmm. started devouring books on health, on cancer, on nutrition. Initially, it was those three topics. I was just reading so many books. But then that kind of led me on to various other, about sort of breathing and psychology and even and in philosophy and other things. But I, I realized within a few years, okay, I'm not dest destined to get cancer because it's about, I understood about epigenetics and, and so on. Right. And then I realized how I live my life has a much bigger play on whether I get cancer and how I eat and how much stress I endure and so on than my genes. So now yeah. I realize I'm not destined to get cancer, but that was my thinking back then. But the tiny habits along the way, when I started you know, reading more and more books, and I started doing courses in nutrition and in stress and so on. And I, I realized I was, I started working with people as a coach and I had good knowledge about these areas, but I didn't mm -hmm. know how to help them to change their habits, to change their behavior. Right. And then the tiny habits came back and I thought, oh yeah, that tiny habits. I wonder if that could help me here. So then I got back into, the, then I did the course to become a tiny habits coach. Mm -hmm. And then I realized, okay, so now I know how to help people with their nutrition, with their breathing, with their sleep. But now I can help them to make a new behavior, to change behaviors, to make it a habit. So what was that transition? So you have your stuff first, right? You have all this knowledge. You've read these books. You've gone through some training. And it didn't, like you said, it didn't really click. It didn't all come together until mm -hmm. the habits started. Yeah. So give us an example, if you can, uh, to one of those things that changed once you introduced the tiny habits portion of it. So say, for example, you're getting a lot of stress and, mm -hmm. and I said, and I'm working with you and it turns, it looks like one of the things that's going to help you is if you can learn to meditate. Now, mm -hmm. a lot of people want to meditate, but they say they can't meditate for various reasons that they'll give. So a way that tiny habits can help is say you're saying to me, I really want to meditate tiny. I just can't do it. So I'll say to you, okay, let's make it too easy to fail. So rather right. than most people, they, they're too ambitious with their New Year's resolutions and all these things, these changes oh, in their life yeah. that they're going to do. And they're just, there's too many of them for one thing, but they're also, they're too ambitious. So if you were going to run a marathon, it wouldn't be a good idea to start running 26 miles every day from the beginning. You're going to start running maybe around a block or something like that. Yeah. So it's the same thing with any other thing that you want to introduce. So in a meditation, instead of being what most people do, they start trying to meditate 20 minutes a day or something like that. It's just, it's not realistic. So right. if you can start to meditate for a minute each day, that's almost impossible to fail or even 20 seconds. There's something that's absolutely impossible to fail because the important thing we're trying to do is, is make it a habit. And if you yes. do that every day, it might become a habit for you after 10 days, maybe 30 days, maybe 50 days. When you hear this thing about 21 days to become, right. you know, make a habit or 68 days, that's all rubbish. There's, there's no scientific <laughs> validity to any of that because Thank it's different you. for every person. But so as I said, it for you, it might only be 10 days. It could be whatever number. But the important mm -hmm. thing is there will be a point where suddenly you just do this without thinking. 
And once once you're into that area, then you can increase the duration. So maybe you you're at a minute. Maybe now you do five minutes, or maybe you, you slowly increase the duration. But now <laughs> you've got that new meditation habit, and you're dealing with anxiety better. You're dealing with stress better. You're it's probably you're a bit better able to sleep now as well. And so, you know, so that's kind of how it works. Okay, so now here I want you to take those all of that training all of that wonderful stuff that you've put into place, not just with yourself, but with other people. And I want you to uh, answer our three what's here. The last portion, right? But it can go as long as as the music portion. (laughs) Totally up to you. So in our three what's, inside or outside of your field, right? This could be habits. This could be DJing. This could this can uh, apply to whatever you've done. What's an opinion that you have that will be considered unpopular? Uh, I, I have a lot of those. <laughs> One is, I have you heard of a guy called Sean Stevenson? He's, he's, he's an American guy, does a podcast called The Model Health Show. And he, nope. there's one thing that he said, and his whole, he's a doctor and he's, I remember a quote that he made a few years ago, and I agree with it 100%. And it was along the lines of, he thinks, he says, in 10, 20, 30 years, we're going to look back at the 2010s, 2020s, and realize why was it legal to sell children processed food, junk food, McDonald's, all of that stuff? Mm-hmm. Why is it legal? And and I, I agree with that completely. It shouldn't, it shouldn't be legal, but, you know. So it should be 100% illegal. Yeah. Because we're killing our kids. Yeah. Oh man. We- Trust me. I am, I'm right there with you as far as junk food is concerned. We, I'm always thinking because I'm not going to stop eating ice cream. Okay. But I can't eat ice cream every day after school. That is going to be very harmful to my body. Now, if two days a week I have, three or four spoons full of ice cream. That is not going to kill me, right? Hopefully. (laughs) I could be wrong in 50 years. (laughs) But in moderation, I feel like. Uh, My wife and I, we love uh, Whataburger and Chick-fil-A. I don't know if you're familiar, but these are fast food chains. Mm. We don't eat Whataburger, not even two days a week. Mm. Maybe on the weekend, we'll choose one. So maybe on a Saturday, we'll eat Whataburger. And just on Saturday, like Sunday, Friday, we're not still eating fast food. But mm. the next Saturday, we may eat Chick-fil-A or we may eat out somewhere, but it's not fast food, right? So if mm. you can kind of do the right things Monday through Friday, I forgot who said this. Maybe it was Arnold Schwarzenegger. He's not the best person to, to follow as far as diet is concerned, but you know who knows? But Monday through Friday, if you're doing the right things and you do just a little bit more on the weekend, not both days, maybe a a Saturday or a Sunday, I feel like you can get away, you know, with that, your body can bounce back and you can, you can do some great things. So nutritionist, please tell me if, if I'm off base here. No, you're on base because, and what you're talking about is moderation and moderation is great, but for many people, they're not able to moderate themselves. Mm. And if everyone was able to moderate themselves, then it wouldn't be a problem having places like McDonald's and so on. But that isn't the world we live in. 
and most people no. aren't able to motivate themselves and that's why they're a problem because they're not a problem if you've only eaten them every now and then there's not an issue with that but the problem is that many people are eating there daily mm. and and drinking no sodas and the amount of sugar oh and salt and yeah so okay because you have this expertise in this field right we're talking about food we're talking about nutrition what is just give us two things that people can do right if you want to get their their kids even themselves off of the junk food i guess you jump in your your tiny habits mindset here just give us two things don't give us the whole kit and caboodle right i know you got a a podcast and a thing to do but just a few little things that we can do tiny things well and it does have to be tiny because realistically if you if someone's eating really unhealthy now to expect them suddenly to eat really healthy is, is completely unrealistic and it's and it's un, unworkable for them as well so if they're if you can imagine a scale from minus 10 to plus 10 minus 10 mm-hmm. being really really processed food really junk food plus 10 being like ultra organic and you know yeah. eating on you know up in heaven or somewhere so if someone is now on minus 8 then it's not if you try and change them to plus 8 it's not going to work so if you can get into minus 7 that's a win because yep. just by making that little change that might give them enough momentum then to get to minus 7 or minus 6 and to minus 5 and so on so it's not about trying to get them over here to to the pluses it's just if they're a minus eight now, let's just get them to minus seven because that might still be not very healthy, but it's healthier than it right. was. It's not as yep. bad as it was. You know? Yep. OK, let's move to our second what. If you weren't in your field, so I guess right now that's podcasting and talking about health and nutrition and mindset. What field would you be in? What other occupation do you think you'd maybe go, go into? Not financial advising, I don't think. <laughs> I can guarantee you it would not be financial advising. <laughs> um, I think it would be something related. I'm, I, I still love sport. I still love, mm-hmm. I think in some ways, maybe like a personal trainer or some, oh, okay, something okay. we're related to helping people. So it's a different area of health because I, I love swimming and playing football and running and cycling and triathlons. And I just love all that kind of stuff, you know. Okay. Awesome. You'll be in, in fitness. So you, yeah. you're the kind of guy, Tony, and I think we're alike in this way. You just got to find a way to help people, you know, in the best way that you can. And you're like, well, if I, if I like DJing, then I'm going to help people with DJing. If I'm into fitness, well, I'm going to help people in fitness. So I mm. applaud you. Everybody, let's give Tony a clap wherever you are. You're in the car, you're listening to this in your living room. Let's give Tony a round of applause because helping people is, that's what life is about. At least that's that's what I think. So we're going to move on to our last what. Now, what advice would you give to someone in high school? So if I were to take this back to my classroom, show my kids like, hey, Tony Winyer had some amazing topics and amazing advice to give you guys. What would you say? I mean, there were so many things that could be said. And I've got a 13 year old daughter. Um, but I, I think the one thing and many of the things, the advice that we would like to give children, it's a waste of time because they're not going to they're not ready to hear it. So right. the thing that and even this, many kids are not ready to hear it. But I think the thing that I would like to say to children is try not to compare yourself to other kids because okay. it's not helping you in any way. 
and don't compare yourself especially to people you see on social media just do your own thing the only piece people you need to compare yourself to is how you were yesterday how you were last week that's the only person to compare yourself to i love it tony so now that we've had this amazing conversation you've talked about world hopping and being this world famous dj and being a super wedding dj and you've got tiny habits now i want you to tell everybody where they can find you talk about your podcast talk about your website your time to shine here. So my, well, my website is tinywinyard.com and Winyard is W-I-N-Y-A-R-D. Uh, my podcast is called Habits and Health and you can find that on the tinywinyard.com website and, and I'm on various social media. Although to be honest, I don't really like using social media, but I am on Instagram and LinkedIn and Twitter, although I never use Twitter, but I'm on there. <laughs> I, I guess the one I use more is Facebook and it's probably because okay. what we talked about earlier, I've got friends, so many friends from all around the world. So I do tend to use Facebook more. Um, and yeah, the podcast comes out once a week. Actually, next week is my 200th episode. So I've been doing it for a few hey. years now. And um, yeah, I love doing it. And it's on series three. So now series three is called Habits and Health. Series one mm -hmm. was called Exceeding Expectations. So I used to people okay. interview people who had the attitude where they love to over-deliver, love to give their customers an amazing experience. And I, I love to kind of drill into that mindset. What is it? Mm -hmm. Why do you enjoy um, having, you know, getting people much more than they expected? So that was series right. one. Series two was called uh, Happiness Versus Flourishing. And it was more mm -hmm. kind of on a philosophical edge. And it was, so one of the things in, in the American constitution, you know, it says about the pursuit of happiness. Yeah, and, and as far as I'm concerned, you can't pursue happiness. You can pursue flourishing and happiness will come. But if you try to yeah. search for happiness or you try to aim for happiness, it's, it doesn't really, you can't, it's not realistic to expect to be happy all it's the time. It's fleeting. Happiness yeah. is always, yeah. the goalpost is always moving. And it's, it's the result of something else. It's just the result of listening to music, of playing some kind of sport, of having fun with your friends. You, and and then it, it's the byproduct, you know. So right. so that podcast was ex exploring that about happiness versus flourishing. How can we have a flourishing life rather than aiming to be happy all the time, which is not realistic, you know? All right, guys. So that's that's Tony Winyard. 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 Uh, he has tons of episodes. Go and listen to his. He has a tremendous story. There are so many things that we didn't even. We couldn't even scratch the surface of, I, I listened to you on some, I keep saying that, but I found it very fascinating. You talked about, you know, race and growing up in your country, you know, being from having a, a black dad from the Sudan. And so like, guys, we, we didn't even get to touch on all of that stuff, right? We just kind of gave Tony Winyard's story, but man, you know, I'm, I'm grateful to have you on. It was an amazing podcast. I think we had a lot of fun here talking music and talking just, you know, growing up and life and changing jobs. <laughs> well, and, so, and you asked some great questions, Tony. So I, and I really appreciate it. And it was, it was interesting to hear some of your life as well in some of the th things I was answering. And you were kind of relating that back to experiences from your life. So that was cool. Yeah. I think that's the, so I'm going through like this, this, I don't know if metamorphosis, metamorphosis might be too big of a, of a word, right? But and this is for maybe any other podcaster that is listening as well. But your podcast is, is yours, right? We want to highlight our guests. 
I want to talk about Tony and his life and all the things that he's gone on to, because I want him to be able to add value to the listeners by giving his experiences. But hey, guess what? I got my hand up. I got some experiences too. And Mm. so if they relate to what you're talking about, I think just as people, we're having a conversation, it will behoove us both for me to not share those experiences and for us to to talk about that back and forth and kick it around and talk about living abroad because we've both done it. Talk about that financial world because we both looked at it and was like, no. (laughs) And talk about music because we both love it. So it only makes sense to me as a host, at least for the show that I'm doing, for me to to add value as well with the stories that I have. So I'm glad you pointed that out, you know, so because everybody doesn't always see it the same. Cool. As I take the last sip of my coffee here, Tony, it's great having you on. Thank you for coming on. Make sure you guys go check them out. TonyWinyard.com. The uh, Say Your uh, Podcast again. Habits and Health. Habits and Health Podcast. Go check it out. And uh, make sure you guys like, subscribe, download, all of that great stuff. Make sure you leave a comment. If this helped you in any kind of way, make make a comment down there and uh, we can have a discussion. Keep going. Uh, this is the Living Numbers Podcast signing off for both Tonys. I will see you all in the next round. Thanks, Tony.